Welcome everyone to the Football Observer. I'm your host, Ramin Nagy, and today I'm joined by David Cartledge. How are you, David? I'm doing well, thank you. It's uh, nice to come on the podcast. Yes, you're always welcome. Anyways, so let's get down to the La Liga weekend. Lots of interesting stuff to go through. Of course, the biggest game coming out of the weekend, Real Betis-Sevilla, El Gran Derby at the Benito Villa Marine. Just a tremendous game, despite it only being uh, one goal. Really entertaining in some aspects, tactically and definitely atmosphere-wise as well. So, uh, could you just give me your thoughts on the game? It ended uh, 1-0. For those of you who don't know, Joaquin came on and scored. We'll get We'll get to the questionable red card later, but as for now, give me your takes on what you thought of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a typical Seville derby. Um, you know, a very tense, intense game, you know, very fraught. Um, I thought Betis uh, dominated for the most part, and I didn't think uh, Seville actually showed much ambition in the game. They didn't attack too much. Um, I think that was largely down to how good Betis were in terms of wanting to dominate possession. But I think Sevilla could have attacked a little bit more. They were a little bit negative, I felt. And uh, they, they brought on a lot of pressure to themselves. And, and that's why Betis rallied late on and they felt they could get the winner. And uh, they did exactly that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Betis, in the first five, ten minutes, it felt like, you know, they were definitely pressuring Sevilla. Sevilla looked shaky. Uh, it felt like the 12th man, the Benito Villamarín atmosphere, and... and really helped a lot uh, for Betis in the beginning, yeah. uh, but as the, the game went on, you know, tactically Betis were the better team. Uh, first half, 0-0. VAR came into use, actually. The first half, I believe, Canales scored a goal called offside with yeah, the help of VAR, which was good. But uh, let's get to the red card, which was a crucial point of the game. Now, uh, I, I, for one, didn't think it... Uh, if anything, Paul Lopez should have been sent off because he almost smashed yeah. Rocky Mesa in his neck. But then again, you can make the case for Rocky Mesa kind of asking asking for that second yellow almost all game, yeah. really. He was in the referee's face. He was tackling exactly. hard. So, yeah. What did you think regarding the red card? And really, how bizarre is it that such a bad call came about despite the availability of VAR? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I... Um, I, I agree with you completely how it went. Um, I didn't think Paulo Lopez did much at first on first viewing, but then I saw the replay and he really went in to Roque Messer with his forearm and you could see he actively went for him. But Roque Messer had been uh, playing on the edge all game. He, he, he had a terrible foul in the opening couple of minutes, which was which is just terrible really, especially in a game like this and really set the tone and he was a bit uh, irritating throughout the game, so I can understand why maybe the referee grew fed up with him. Um, but um, from it, it was a second yellow card, and uh, from what I understand, VAR can't intervene when it comes to second yellow cards. It would only be if so if it was a direct red. Oh, okay, I see. Then I think that's a bit of a stupid rule to have because it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, under the five things VAR is going to be used for is uh, offside goal or whether the goal is questionable or not. A penalty appeal, a red card, but not second yellow card, which is uh, a bit strange because a second yellow card is technically a red card. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. It just baffles me in a way. And I kind of feel bad for Sevilla. And of course, they didn't deserve to win at the end of the day. But still, to that, uh, it was it was pretty clear after the red card. Betis, it was either going to be a Betis goal or no goal at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they, Betis really rallied from it. They, they, it was a key incident in the game, and I think it encouraged Betis to, to go on and press even more. So, so yeah, I think it, it was, a, it was a major incident. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, in terms of player performances, what player? We can start with Betis. Who did who did you think in Betis really performed? Um, I thought Sergio Canales was was outstanding in midfield. He he was brilliant. Um, he received the ball from deep lying areas. He also played uh, attacking midfield just off the attack and he also played as an, an interior and, and, and cut out wide every now and then before drifting inside and I was just really really impressed with him uh, and how he helped Betis have a man over in midfield and made sure that they retained dominance of the ball and um, I, th- I thought he was fantastic yeah he was he was pretty good too um in terms of Betis who did you see in their team that really performed um, yeah, yeah, that was that was the better one. But in terms of uh, Sevilla, Sevilla, Sevilla. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, it's okay, it's, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, no one really stood out for me uh, in Sevilla's performance. I think it with with Pablo Machín as coach, mm-hmm. you're not going to see many individuals shine. It's going to be more of the unit, and I think it was more of a team performance. And honestly, no one really stood out for me in that Sevilla team. I thought it was a pretty poor, weak performance. Not much character uh, from Sevilla, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I was a bit disappointed with Sarabia. It's a player I expect more yeah. from in these games. Uh, of course, Andres Silva has been doing well. Didn't really do much in this game. And in the striking position, I mean, they're a bit uh, Sevilla, both teams, really. I mean, if we can look at Betis, they have Loren, Ser- Sergio Leon, and Antonio Sanabria. Uh, yeah. Which one of the three would you start? Because I personally think Sanabria has more upside than uh, the other two. Of course, the other two are very good as well, but I'd start Sanabria. I'd, I'd agree with you completely. Uh, I think Tony Sanabria is an excellent player. If you look, last season, yeah, he was scoring goals regularly before he picked up a really, really bad injury, and then he was ruled out for pretty much all the season and only came back at the end. Um, so for me, I think Betis have to integrate him fully and get him back as the lead striker, and, and hopefully that the, the goals will flow. Yeah, absolutely. And before we move on to Joaquin and his goal, uh, in terms of Sevilla's striking position, uh, last season it kind of baffled me in a way how Muriel was getting these starts while you had Ben Yedder, who I, who I think is the better option. Uh, we, saw, we saw it several times last season, especially at the game at Old Trafford where Ben Yedder came in, scored two goals instantly, while Muriel in the first leg, he missed a clear-cut chance. And I, I was calling out for Ben Yedder to start uh, almost all of last season, but now I believe they have a better say, striking, <clears throat> excuse me, striking option in Andre Silva. He started off real well. I mean, of course, his stint at Milan was a bit, um, it wasn't didn't turn out exactly as planned. But this is a player, uh, from what I understand, from people who follow, especially the Portuguese and national team, that's supposed to have great upside, and he's shown that um, uh, as of the beginning of the season. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, yeah, I think he's done really well so far. He's a very hard-working striker. I've noticed that. I think last night he was very isolated against Betis, but he he toiled away, he worked away. He was feeding on scraps. Um, he wasn't getting much from his midfield. Um, so I think he he couldn't do a lot more than than what he did, quite frankly, due to the poor service. Um, there was no real link there. Um, but I think it says a lot that Sevilla, right up until the transfer window or deadline, were looking for another striker. They really wanted Porto from Girona. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that goes to show that they were really, really keen on, on adding another striker and they are confident about whether they can score many goals. Yeah. Uh, they were, of course, uh, we'll get to Girona later, but that they managed to keep Porto was <laughs> crucial for them. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, as for the game, Joaquin, after the red card, came in in the 75th minute. His first touch in the game, 80th minute, scores, stadium erupts, absolutely incredible moment seeing this club legend score in this big game. 
really, if you haven't seen it, go check out the goal and the moments after. It's really, you know, one of the moments they'll give you goosebumps. And, you know, I kind of thought to myself, a Sevilla Derby in Benito Villamarín experiencing it live, that's definitely on my bucket list. I don't know, what were your thoughts uh, around the last 15 minutes of the game? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, all the momentum was clearly with Betis. The, the crowd really got behind the team uh, after the sending off. They were like, right, come on, we can win this now. Um, and there's expectation as well, you know. It was the it was the third highest attendance in Benito Villarín history. Um, you know, it was extremely loud there, and they put pressure on the team to get that goal, and it got them over the line. And, and yeah, who better than Joaquin, club club legend, club icon? He will probably have a statue uh, <laughs> built for him one day. Thirty uh, seven year old. And he's still in excellent condition. And, um, you know, he might not be able to play... You know, they're going to be in the Europa League this yeah. year. Um, yeah, and he might not be able to play a league game on the Saturday and then a Europa League game mm-hmm. on the following Thursday anymore. He can't do that. So what you do is you manage his minutes. So when you've got 15 minutes to go, 10 minutes to go, he's a great presence to have with his running, his movement. And, and yes, he scores goals as well. And he came up and, look, this guy's a legend. He's, a, he's an icon, not just a Betis, but it's Spanish football as well. It's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really is, and it's kind of bizarre because I remember as a kid, it's a bit of say that I even remember this, but the very first La Liga game I saw was Betis-Real Madrid, and I remember, I believe it was in 2003, Joaquin scored a goal and Ronaldo Nazario as well, so yeah, mm-hmm. Joaquin kind of has a, I have a kind of a soft spot for him. And I believe, like you said, a lot of people who follow Spanish football do. And now you mentioned the Europa League. Let's get into it here. The groups were drawn, and Betis and Sevilla are both in it. We can start with Betis' group. It's Milan. Uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing any of these names wrongly, but F91 Dudelange, Olympiacos Piraeus, and Milan. Uh, so, yeah, they should advance. They should come second, maybe even first. Uh, but... Uh, regarding Betis in the Europa League, how do you think they'll cope with having La Liga at the same time? Yeah, it's going to be a big test. Um, the squad has got quite good depth, I think. Uh, they probably could have done with maybe one, two more players, I think, maybe. But I, I still think they have enough to, to say, finish fifth, sixth in La Liga and also get past the group stages in the Europa League. And I think that would be seen as a successful season. I really, really do. And then they can continue to build. There should be no rush. This is only the second year with Kike Setien. Um, I think they're progressing all the time. The, the quality of players that they have is better, once again. So, yeah, I think they should do well. Um, and like you say, I agree. I think they can finish first or second. There's going to be no easy games in this one. I think Olympiacos, uh, you know, it's going to be particularly tough. Um, going to San Siro as well against Milan. Again, tough. But, look, I think Betis are a good enough side and they shouldn't be scared of anyone, especially teams coming to Benito Villanueva. Mm. We saw the atmosphere last night. If you're a, if you're a European team and you're going there, that's the last place you want to play because mm. it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Exactly. And Sevilla are also in the Europa League. And let me just mm. find their group here. I believe they got a fairly simple one. Yeah, here it is. Standard. Uh, I, this is going to be a wrong pronunciation. <laughs> Akisar Belediaspor. Turkish, I believe. I might be wrong. Krasnodar, they should win this group theoretically, and of course, giving Sevilla's history in the Europa League, they kind of sort of built a dynasty and made it their tournament. Uh, do you think they can win it this year, despite you know the competition being good with Chelsea, Arsenal, Lazio, Milan, and good teams are probably going to finish third in the Champions League in the group stage as well and go over to the Europa League. So it's going to be competitive. How do you see their chances of actually winning it? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't put them as one of the the main favourites. I think there's other teams I would put above them. Um, certainly, uh, there's, there's maybe two, three teams I, I would say that I think are probably standing a better chance. I really like the look for just looking at it now, looking at the Europa League and how things uh, shape up. I really like the idea of maybe Zenit or Chelsea uh, winning it. I think they 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 do look very strong. And then don't forget. You're going to have teams dropping down from the Champions mm. League as well, so it makes it so so difficult. So no, I think Sevilla can finish first in this group, but um, I think it's going to be very difficult for them after then. Yeah, I agree with you too. And uh, well, considering both Betis and Sevilla are in it, the dream scenario would be to have them face each other in the knockout stages of the Europa League. A European Sevilla derby would just be off the charts, really. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be incredible. It's uh, it's happened before, and mm-hmm. it was it was crazy. You know, I think it would be the the hottest ticket in European football if they would uh, draw yeah. each other in this competition. Yeah, it would. Uh, well, let's move on to some other La Liga football from this week, and of course, Levante Valencia back in fourth game. Uh, really, a Formula One game, if you ask me. Ended two two derby game there as well. Did you catch the game? Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, I caught that one as well. And and again, that was just another magnificent game. Um, I think we were only a few games in the Liga, but I'm I'm taken aback by how many good quality games uh, have been already this season. And so this is really another one of those. Yeah, it was. And it ended 2-2. Roger, yeah. Mar- Roger scored two goals. Uh, Sheryshev, coming back to Valencia, scored a goal as well. And Parejo on a penalty. Ended 2-2. Very fun game to watch. Just back and forth. A bit similar to Sevilla Villarreal last week, where yeah. it was just all back and forth. Now, granted, that game ended 0-0. How? No one knows. But still, from a quality standpoint and entertainment standpoint, it's been a very fun La Liga season, of course, only begun. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we can... Levante, of course, last season they did very well for their standards. Uh, how do you see them at this season? Yeah, they've done well to keep Paco Lopez, uh, I think, in charge. That was a good decision to give him the job. He really turned their season around after playing so much negative football under uh, Muniz. And um, so things have changed in a big way for them. They've retained some big players as well. They they only lost Jefferson Lerma. Uh, who, who went to the Premier League mm-hmm. um, but they got good money for him uh, they, they still have a very decent squad and look I think that they're, they're, the remit of Levante is always just avoid relegation and for me they can do that they, for me they can finish between maybe 13th uh, to 16th and, and that will be seen as success for them yeah. Now, Borja Mayoral from Real Madrid made a last-minute loan to Levante. Uh, mm. I'm a Madridista myself, and of course I want Mayoral to get minutes. However, uh, ironically enough, I don't think that is guaranteed in Levante, considering they have Emmanuel Boateng and Roger up top, who are both good options. Uh, I don't know, how much playing time do you think he'll get? Yeah, I think his minutes are going to be, have to be chosen carefully. Um, I think Roja is the, the main striker at the moment. I think he can get ahead of Boateng uh, completely because he hasn't really done enough, I think, with Levante. And I think Borja is such a hard-working player. And, uh, you know, I think in training as well, he always gives 100%. And I think that will come across to Paco Lopez. And I think he will get chances. I really, really do. Sometimes he might be situated out on the wing, so he might have to deal with that and make the most of, uh, you know, being in that position. But, but no, I think he's going to get some chances. I think it's going to be okay for him. I think this is a decent loan. Yeah, uh, I do too. We'll see. I, for his sake, I really hope he gets minutes. Of course, before his loan spell at Wolfsburg, this was really one of the more promising strikers in Europe. So, yeah, he definitely has some upside. And... 
We'll get to Valencia later when we discuss the Champions League group stage draw. But for now, let's go into Celta de Vigo, Atletico Madrid. Of course, Celta picking up a huge win, 2-0 against Atletico. Uh, did you catch the game? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I watched, I watched all the games this weekend, so it's, uh, so it's all good. And, and Celta were just fantastic. They played Atleti off the pitch. Um, look, Atleti weren't very good. They weren't at their usual level. Okay, but... Celta were that good. The, the football that they played was, was fantastic. And if somebody hasn't seen the game, I would suggest watching. If you're a fan of good football, then you need to watch this game. Yeah. Uh, what players kind of stood out to you? Uh, Aspas, of course. Uh, yeah, he, yeah he, he hasn't really hit his level yet, Aspas. And, and look, he was, he was decent, but not at his best. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the key was in midfield with Stanislav Leboka. Um, the Slovakian midfielder and mm-hmm. a young Fran Beltran, uh, only 19 Beltran, years old. Yeah. yeah, really, really exciting. Yeah, so those two were brilliant. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Beltran because this is one of the players before the season started that I kind of wanted to keep an eye on because mm. tremendous hype regarding him. Supposed to be a huge get for for uh, Celta in terms of not just current quality but potential quality. This is a player that can potentially break into the Spanish national team in the next couple of couple of years, seeing as how their midfielders are slowly aging. But yeah, I can definitely see him, you know, five years' time being in the Spanish national team. We'll see. But yeah, that's definitely a name to keep uh, keep in mind from Beltran, of course. Uh, any other notes regarding Celta? Yeah, I just really, really like the, the way that the start that they have made under new coach Antonio Mohamed. Uh, they're playing like they did under when they were with Parizo. There's a, there's a lot of uh, balance there. They, they equally defend and attack in the same measure. They are not very naive. Um, you know, I'm really, really liking the confidence that they're playing with. And uh, I think it's exciting because they've got lots of attacking options as well. We saw on the bench yesterday, they had Emery Moore, they had Sofian Bufal, and um, I think uh, Dennis Eckhart as well. And, and it's really, really interesting how much depth that they have now. Yeah, and I mean, their, their front three is really... <laughs> really fun in terms of you know the players. I mean, Sisto, Pione Sisto, of course, scored that amazing goal at Levante last week, and then you have Maxi Gomez, who they managed to keep. Now, some uh, Alexandra Junson, who we had on our La Liga preview show, said they should have sold them because they're not going to be able to get that amount of money from again. I disagree. I think they did well by keeping him because you know, good player and all. And then they have Aspas, and as you said, the players on the bench, they have tremendous depth and really an yeah. interesting front three. So, yeah. Uh, any other notes regarding Atleti? Yeah, yeah, they're just not sharp enough right now. I think there's a little bit of tiredness in there, and I think you saw, you know, not just physically, I'm talking mentally as well. I think if you look at Diego Godin, very rarely he makes a slip up, but he did in this game. Um, and, you know, and, and Simeone as well, his stubbornness came to the fore. I think they, they started in a 3 5 2. It didn't work, but Simeone persisted with it. And I think sometimes you have to admit that you were wrong and change things, and uh, he didn't. And, and that's why Celta were able to dominate for, for so long, and they. Could have had more goals, quite frankly. Yeah, I uh, should. I wouldn't be worried though if I'm an Atletico fan. I think they're gonna, you know, step up their game pretty soon and be in the top three and perhaps advance in the Champions League in the latter stages. Because beforehand, if you look at the, the business they did during this window, it was really tremendous business, especially bringing Rodri, which was key for them since Gabi is not there anymore and he was kind of aging and declining so they really needed to address that position and they have with Rodri of course Lamar exactly. coming in so I think they'll be fine 
we'll see. Uh, I personally had them in, you know, semi-final level of the Champions League. We'll get to the group later, and I had them definitely challenging for the league. And as for the title race goes, I think this we might very well see a three-team race knee-deep into the later stages of the season because if you look at Barca, if you look at Real and Atletico going forward, I think all of them have... You can make a strong case for each of them winning the league. Uh, so regarding the title race, what are your thoughts? And really, do you see Atleti still managing to hang in there with Real and Barca? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm still here, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just dropped off there, yeah. Um, if you just ask your last question, then Absolutely, I'll pick it up from there. Yes. All right, so uh, I was talking about Aleti and... Well, uh, in terms of the league race, the title race, uh, yeah. if you look at it, all the t- the top three teams, you can make a case for each of them winning, really. Uh, I don't know, do you see Atleti hanging in there with them, and do you expect a three-team race? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I still see it as the same three. Um, I don't think there's going to be anybody else pushing on, and I agree with you. I think Atleti, uh, I, if I was a fan, I wouldn't worry Right now, um, I think they're going to pick it up very, very soon. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And we can get into Real Madrid. Of course, they've been looking good on their Lopetegui so far. Uh, this weekend, they faced. <clears throat> Excuse me, who did they face? I should remember this. Who was it? Oh God! Uh, sorry, Lejanes. Real Madrid looked good. Four-one win. Did you catch? You caught that game too, I guess. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, what did you think for Real, and what players kind of stood out to you? Yeah, um, I was really impressed with the way that they played as a unit. Um, Marca, they wrote an editorial saying, uh, you know, it's the first time in a long time. It's looked like uh, Real Madrid had 11 players on the field, and, and not just one big star and 10 more. And, and you know, I would agree with that notion. Um, look, Cristiano is a great player, so much success into him, and there's a lot of pressure on these guys to deliver and, deliver and bring the same amount of success. But... You know, um, it was a complete team performance. Um, I thought Benzema was fantastic mm-hmm. leading the line once again. He's looking lean, very mean. Um, he looks really, really up for his football and he's like enjoying things again. Gareth Bale looks part of the, 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 the squad, a part of the team now. He's getting involved in general team player, approach player. He's not on the periphery. Um, he's not faded out of games. Um, he's involved. And then Isco and Asensio, I think, run this team and they, and they were fantastic. And, uh, I, it's really, really positive signs. Um, I don't really care was, uh, that it was Leganis. You you have to beat what's put in front of you and, and Real Madrid mm-hmm. excellent. Yeah. And to your point there with Leganes, uh, to even mm-hmm. enhance it furthermore, last season we saw them face your Leganes type teams and not really perform to the level they have been so far, Real. Ex- so, exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and, well, what stood out to me is, well, basically what you said, the collectiveness we've seen from the first few games. This is a team now. You don't have to think about Ronaldo has to score or else there's going to be something negative to take for, take away from this game. I kind of felt like that every time we, uh, under Ronaldo, any game he didn't score but we won, I always felt that negative thing taken away from the game that he didn't score. But yeah. now, when you look at it, it doesn't matter if Bale doesn't score. It doesn't matter if Benzon doesn't score. As long as they win and play well, it really doesn't matter. You can only take away positives. Exactly. And really, we've mentioned this on the show before, the exit of Ronaldo. Of course, it is sad seeing a club legend go, 
brought them these trophies, all these goals, club legend, hands down, no doubt, but him leaving, I personally think it was the right timing for Real, and it allows your Benzema's, Isco, and Gareth Bale to shine more and show their quality even more, really. What's going to be key here for Lopetegui, and what Zidane did so well, is rotation, rotation. Now, of course, Kovacic went on loan, so that will allow Ceballos to get more minutes, and seeming as Lopetegui likes um, under-21, under-22 youth players. Uh, he's worked with the Spanish youth team before, so he likes the, your Ceballos' type players, your Llorentes. So it's going to be key for Real how they rotate when they have a tough schedule with the Champions yeah. League, the Club World Cup, and I, they're going to be motivated in the, in the Cup, seeming as they hasn't, haven't won it in, well, it will be eight years by 2019. So they're going to be motivated in the Cup as well. And what players do you see getting minutes under Lopetegui um, I think the main one for me is Danny Ceballos. Um, I think uh, he's going to have, you know, he was frozen out complete, frozen out completely last season, um, and I think now he will, uh, you know, he was given opportunities as well, and he was given so few opportunities, and mm. it was very, very difficult for him to impress him with those small amount of minutes that he was handed. But this time, I think he's get more of a chance, and I think we're going to see the, the real Ceballos this season, Real Madrid. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Llorente, I think too, is going to get some minutes. Yeah. Uh, because if you recall, Kovacic could also play as a CDM, a central defensive midfielder. So anytime yeah. Casemiro wouldn't be there, and it would be Kovacic. So Llorente was also a bit frozen out, not as much as Ceballos, but I think he'll get minutes too. So yeah, and Thibaut Courtois making his debut. He had a, I don't want to say a huge chance to make an impact immediately, but of course he faced the penalty, unfortunately let it go. It's going to yeah. be, in, regarding the goalkeeper situation, I mean, no one really knows how it's going to work out or how who they're going to play when and how they're going to work out a system. Uh, I don't know. Where, how do you see the goalkeeping situation at the moment? Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, the easy thing to say is, you know, one plays in the Cups and the other one plays in the league. Um, but I think it's something that Real Madrid need clarity on um, and, and very, very soon because that could be a situation that gets out of hand and could become uh, a problem uh, for the back line. So they need to sort that out um, very quickly. Yeah, and what's key here is to mention Keylor Navas over the last year really has developed his footwork immensely, tremendously, and Simi as Lopetegui likes to play possession, play up from the back, and pass. Yeah. I think Navas is going to be the first choice just because of how much he's improved his footwork. Uh, we'll see what will happen. Court was world-class, obviously, so he can't be on the bench every game. But it is possible that we see a system where... Courtois plays in the Champions League and the league in the Copa del Rey, and Navas plays in the league. We'll see. It might be the other way around too, or maybe we'll just see Navas play every big game. I don't know. Um, we'll see. It's very unclear how that's going to work yeah. out. So yeah. Uh, anyways, moving on from Real Madrid to Barcelona, and they've been also been looking well. And for the first time in a couple of years, they actually have depth in their squad. What are your thoughts regarding Barcelona? Yeah, again, I think Barcelona have a lot of depth. They've uh, they've added well in key areas. They brought some experience in in terms of Vidal. Um, they, they they've also got the young players still. You know, they brought in Arthur, uh, Malcolm as well. Um, and, and yeah, I think they. I think the main thing Barcelona wanted to do was add more to the attack, so they had more options and, and ease the burden on Messi, which is always what they are trying to do. And uh, I I think they've done that because I think Dembele is stepping up well, and he's going to be a lot better than he was last season. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, to be fair to him, last season he had that huge injury, and I believe that 
that unfairly made people judge him over that season. I think it was kind of, I think it was an out the window kind of season for him. And this yeah. is his real first season at Barcelona, and I believe yeah. they have a huge get in him. And yeah, I completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. And they won eight two against Huesca at home. Uh, just a real result, really, if you think yeah. about it. And La Liga, as, you, as we said before, it's been. An explosive start. Now, unfortunately, as soon as we get started, as soon as we get going, you have this international break coming up. So it's really, in that sense, it's frustrating to have the international break so early on. Yeah, it is really is. You know, we just, it feels like we just got momentum now, two games in a row. And, you know, every league's up and running the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Ligue 1. Um, and then you get hit with this national break and, you know, for this UEFA Nations League competition. And it's, it's very, very, very frustrating, especially when we've had so many exciting games already. Mm, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't mind. I get why there has to be international breaks during this season. I just don't get why it has to be so early. I mean, if it was a month from now, sure, I'll, I take the break with open arms, but this early, it's, it's really frustrating. And, and uh, uh, Jimmy on our Premier League show yesterday made a good point that it kind of stops or slows or blocks uh, the momentum of some teams. Uh, for instance, Watford have been doing tremendously in the Premier League and now they have a two-week break. That kind of stops the momentum a bit if you think about it. Yeah, absolutely, it does. It's, it is. It's, it's just a very, very frustrating situation. And, and, and yeah, it does. It stops momentum. And then I guess some other teams like Atleti of Real, who aren't playing so well, will say, okay, well, um, it allows us time to go back to the drawing board and readdress and have a look at what we're doing wrong. Exactly. Speaking of Real, of course, Friday night game against Girona, they lost 0-1. Girona coming out the winner, Stuani getting the goal there. What did you think of that game? Yeah, yeah, that was interesting again. Once uh, Villarreal just look really, really troubled right now in all areas, especially at the back. They have just got these uh, little lapses in concentration in there every single time. And the time like Girona will pounce on that because they have Stuani and Porto who can who can get goals and, and, and finish you off. And yeah, there's a lot of trouble at Villarreal right now, and, and they just need to, you know, they're one of the teams who will be glad there's an international break. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, by the way, I haven't caught that much Villarreal as of yet. Uh, I. S- I had my one eye on their game against Sevilla, but Real Madrid were playing at the same time, so I had Real Sevilla on the small screen and Real Madrid on the big screen. But in your opinion, how has Gerard Moreno looked so far? Yeah, he hasn't really... I mean, he's a good player. He's, he's shown some encouraging signs, but he hasn't really fully integrated yet. And in time, I think he will. He's going to be a good striker, and he'll probably get about 15 to 20 goals for them this season. Yeah, which is major for them, of course. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any other notes regarding La Liga before we move into the Champions League group stage draw? Um, no, I think we've covered it really well there. Absolutely. And of course, uh, Madrid derby coming up September 29th. Going to be extremely heated. Uh, Real Madrid, of course, after the international break, do have a difficult game, I would say. It's Bilbao at away. So, yeah, Barcelona, and we know how difficult they've had at San Sebastian, they're going there after the international break as well. So we might see both of them drop points. Uh, it's possible. I'm not saying it will happen, but I'm saying it's possible. So yeah, two interesting games coming up there. And of course, Valencia Betis is going to be a fun game to watch, I believe. So yeah. Yeah. Now, going into the Champions League group stage, bro, we can start with Barcelona's group. They got a very difficult group. Inter, PSV Eindhoven, and Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, that's an immensely difficult group. Um, 
I think you know you look at the Champions League groups for the for the Liga teams, and uh, I don't think anything's going to be straightforward. There's there's some interesting ties there, and uh, this this Barcelona Spurs game is uh, particularly interesting. Yeah, it is. I don't know. I still expect Barcelona to win that group, but yeah. it's going to be difficult games for them and. Their October schedule, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's extremely difficult in terms of difficult games in the Champions League and difficult games in La Liga. So, yeah, but I still think they're going to win their group. So the only question is how they will cope in the league at the same time. But as we mentioned before, they've really gone out and gotten depth into their team, which was really, really necessary for them to do. Uh, yeah. who, do, who do you come? Who do you see coming in at second in that group? Because we've got a black horse, a dark horse in PSV, and then you have Tottenham and Inter battling out for the second second spot. Um, I think uh, Spurs. Um, they're they're a very good side in Europe. I think they're very suited to European football under Pochettino. And uh, yeah, I think they will they will run Barcelona close actually in this one. Yeah, and of course Pochettino, uh, a diehard Espanol uh, player, and he was a coach there as well. So he's definitely going to be motivated when he comes to the Camp Nou and when he faces Barcelona. So moving on to Atletico's group, they also got a difficult group: Dortmund, AS Monaco, Club Brugge. Yeah, yeah, again another very, very uh, tricky group, and, and and like I said, it's just there's there's nothing. Straightforward here, uh, I don't think for any of these teams. Um, but yeah, Letty are experienced in this competition. They are very, very good. I know they they slipped up last season when they, you know they had that those back to back terrible results against Carabag, which ended up costing them, and that's why they slipped down the Europa yeah. League. But no, I think I think an Atleti in first and uh, Monaco in second in this one. I don't see yeah. Dortmund getting through. Yeah, I agree with you there. And what's key to mention here, Atletico Madrid have the final at their home field, so there's going to be that extra sense of motivation. And I highly doubt they're going to make the same incompetent mistakes they made last year in the group stage of the Champions League. Exactly. So I think they'll come first, and they really want to go to the final on their own home turf. So yeah. And Real Madrid's group, of course, they got an easier group, if you ask me. CSKA Moskva, AS Roma, and who are the last team we were facing? Victoria Plissen. Yeah, yeah, I, I think this is probably the easiest one out of the lot, and, and, and they should go through, uh, I think, with maximum points. Yeah, and I mentioned this on our Premier League show yesterday. Of course, Real Madrid last year had Dortmund Tottenham in the group, PSG in the round of 16, Juventus in the quarterfinals, FC Bayern Munich in the semifinals. Now, <laughs> I, I can't recall a team going to the final with a harder path than Real Madrid had last year. So I'm taking this group with open arms as a Madridista. I'm welcoming this. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, no, no, they should come in first. Roma should come in second. I'd be very surprised if it ends in any other way. Now the big one, Valencia, of course, coming back to the Champions League. Great to have them back. European Knights at Mestalla. Yeah. They got Juventus, Manchester United, Young Boys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, again, it all depends how uh, how much uh, Valencia click, um, really, uh, with the, the new players that they have and, and how they, they cope with playing in two competitions. Um, so, yeah, I, but I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to get through this one, uh, even if it's in second place. Yeah, I think so too. Of course, Juventus, number one, is almost a lot for me. In at number two, is I had Valencia because uh, United at the moment, of course, they won yesterday, but they faced a weak Burnley side who were 
just really burnt out from those uh, Europa League qualifying games. So, yeah, I I think Valencia are going to come in second. And in yeah. terms of depth, I believe they actually do have some depth, especially in the striking position. The only thing they need to figure out is, you know, their per- of course, the international break kind of came in a good time for them. I think they still have some things to figure out. They're not quite mm-hmm. where they were last season, but I think they'll be there, and I, I see them going through. Now, in terms of Valencia, uh, how do you think they've been doing so far in the league? Um, poorly. It's a, it's a very, very slow start uh, for Valencia. Um, again, I think they're just getting used to a few new players coming in. But also, um, there's been a lot of uncharacteristic individual errors at the back, particularly. They don't look organised. And one of the key things about the Marcelino side is uh, that they are always organised and well-drilled at the back, and, and they haven't been this time. Yeah, well-drilled. And, of course, key was them for... To bring back Condogbia and Guedes, which they did. So, all in all, they had a great window. They brought Cabello yeah. too. So, the the quality's there. And I do see them going to a round of 16, maybe even quarterfinals if they get lucky with the draw. We'll definitely see. But um, to basically round it up, I expect all four Spanish teams to advance. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, any other notes regarding the Champions League draw? Um, yeah, I just agree with you in, in saying that uh, I think all four teams will advance. Um, I'm saying all of them will finish first. But uh, yeah, and you know, you look at the Europa League as well. Um, and I think all the Spanish teams should advance from, from that as well. Yeah. And of course, um, the final being at Wanda Metropolitano. How um, enormous would it be to have a full Spanish final? And not just, you know, Madrid derby, but if there ever is going to be an Atlasico final, this is the year. Neutral turf in Spain, Real Madrid-Barcelona. I mean, it's tempting, isn't it? It is, it's tempting, but uh, it would be not imagine if we had uh, all Spanish uh, finals in the Europa League and the Champions League. It would be fantastic, and I think the teams are looking really strong. Obviously, there's lots of pressure from uh, from the Premier League in terms of mm-hmm. how strong they are and the money that they have spent. But no, I, I still think Spanish football is ahead at a club level, and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they can all make the final. Yeah, they can. And, of course, for Betis and Sevilla, it's going to be a wee bit more difficult. But in terms of a full Spanish Champions League final, it is not out of the question. It is possible that we see one. Now, of course, it depends on the draw. Maybe we'll get in a classic on the quarter or semi or Madrid derby in the quarter or semi. It all depends on the draw. But I wouldn't rule out a full Spanish final this year, no. And it would be okay. just, an, it would just be amazing to have a Madrid derby or a classic or just having Atletico in the final at their home turf. And, now, in terms of other teams in the Champions League, uh, of course, uh, we're going to cover Juventus later on our Serie A show, but they're definitely, it's almost an obsession with winning the Champions League now and doing it with this team. So, they're, uh, I don't know, do you see them winning it? Um, no, I don't. I just think there's too much strength elsewhere. Um, and I think, you know, I can understand what they're doing. They're going for experience again. They're going for a direct win. Um, you know, they're, they're going big, shall we say. Uh, but no, no, I, I think that it's, it, it's going to be a Spanish winner once again. Yeah, uh, very possible. Of course, like you said, there's so much strength elsewhere. You have, of course, the Spanish teams. You have Manchester City who are going to you know, do better than last season in the Champions League. You have Liverpool who are definitely going to be, especially this season, I think they're going to be better this season than they, was last, than they were last season. And, of course, last season they went all the way to the finals. So they're definitely a team to be scared of if you're, if you're a supporter for any other of the big clubs in the Champions League. 
Paris definitely it's almost the same case there with Juventus as it, it is with Paris they have to win the Champions League that's it because winning the French League with all due respect to the, the other French teams winning the French League is no longer a merit for them it is the Champions League same thing goes for Juve and uh, for FC Bayern too so in terms of competitiveness we're having we're looking at six seven eight teams who can win this tournament and who are going to be fired up to do so yeah, indeed, and I think um, there's not going to be any surprises about who makes the you know the quarterfinals, semis. I think it's going to be all the, the big teams, the elite teams, the Bayerns, the U.S., Real Madrid, Barcelona. You know, I think Man City are now up there as well, and 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 yeah, and and PSG have also got a lot of proof, a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, and as for the new Champions League system, where top four in the Premier League, La Liga. Serie A and Bundesliga go in. I love this system because when before the problem, I was looking at the 32 teams, the sheet of it. It kind of, you know, it was almost all of the names in there were either top quality teams, familiar teams historically, or good teams in other leagues who have really dominated their other leagues. Your Ajaxes, PSVs, Benfica. So I love this new system, and that's really why we we have so many competitive groups. And I personally think this is yep. what the Champions League is supposed to be about. Because Indeed. over the last few years, the group stage, the prestige of it has sort of declined in terms of you know who's going to go through in most groups, first, second. But now this year, it's a bit more uncertain, and the group stage games are going to be harder. The fall period for these yep. teams are going to be more difficult. So, yeah, I'm a fan of this, and I think this is what the Champions League should be about. Any other notes? Yeah, I agree. All right, absolutely. Now, before we That's wrap... That all sounds good to me. Yeah. Before we wrap it up here, David, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. And could you tell us where we can find you on Twitter and where we can find your content? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's uh, David Jacka on Twitter. That's J-A-C-A. Uh, and also um, follow us at Talking La Liga as well for, for the for the best coverage of the, the whole league. Um, anywhere you can find, basically. Uh, you know, we talk about the smaller teams, um, but we also talk about the big teams as well in equal measure. And uh, there's a lot of content I think a lot of people would be interested in over there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again. And as for your listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at FootballObserve2. That's Football O-B-S-E-R-V-2. Stay tuned for more content. We've got lots of things coming up, even during the international break. But as for now, I'm your host, Ramin Nagy, calling it in.